great service. Uh, started with our children, ended with our students so, thus far. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. <clears throat> Have you noticed how about this time of the year, people's demeanor begins to change? They're so nice. <laughs> so considerate. I mean, you've probably seen short snippets of video. I mean, they tell us that the shopping season for Christmas officially begins the Friday after Thanksgiving, right? And so people will go to these stores and be there in line sometimes throughout the night, going without food or to the restroom, heaven forbid waiting for the doors to open just so that they can go in and purchase that one item that they cannot live without. Usually a $30 TV, right? What happens when the doors open to that store? People just stand aside and say, no, you, I insist, you go ahead, right? Let me show you where the item is that you're looking for. Oh, surely you recognize sarcasm this morning, right? People will cut you off in traffic and say things to you that you could interpret but need not say in public. And you wonder, what in the world? It's Christmas. Where are the smiles? Where is the joy? I, I ran across a poem a few years ago that just sort of captured this for me. It's an adaptation of Twas the Night Before Christmas, and appropriately it's titled, Twas the Fight Before Christmas. Twas the fight before Christmas, and all through the house, rang holiday discord twixt me and my spouse. Our checking account is disgustingly bare, I growled as her eyes met my icy cold stare. Well, don't look at me, my wife said with a sneer, your own spending habits are far from austere. My blood pressure rose and my face simmered red as I angrily shouted things best left unsaid. The cheeks of our children looked rosy and chapped for crying so much while their mom and I scrapped. We picked up our wee ones and hushed up our fuss, reminding ourselves how much they meant to us. My wife looked at me and it wasn't long until we confessed that we each had been wrong. Agreeing to talk in the morning instead, we called a truce and entreated to bed. The issues were there in the morning, it's true. But nerves were much calmer and harsh words were few. So argue if you must, and I think you just might. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good fight. <laughs> I've had more than one conversation with folks through the years about what it's like during the holidays. I mean, we, we go up into our attics and we pull down these decorations that we use only one time of the year. We, we go to social events and eat food that we eat only one time of the year. We wear clothes that are hung in our closets or wardrobes only for this time of the year. And there's so many things that are added to our schedules and it's piled on top of what we normally have to deal with, right? Getting kids up, spouses up. 
fixing breakfast and lunches and then dinners in the evening. And for those of us with children, it's homework, homework, homework. And we wonder, is this really the way it's supposed to be? I mean, where can we find time just to put life on pause and stop and reflect and truly appreciate what Christmas is all about. I want you to open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. And I want to share with you a scripture that I think shows us what the spirit of Christmas really is. This is the story of the Magi. And if you need a visual aid, I think they're on display here on the Lord's Supper table down front. And if you can't make it down here, Lawrence Braswell has them on his tie. So find him after the service and you can see what it looks like for the Magi to have come to visit Jesus. Look at what it says. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, king of Ju- uh, in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, shepherd my people, Israel, the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time that the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. This absolutely is my favorite story at Christmas. But I must begin this morning by reminding you that the story is shrouded in mystery. There are lots of things that we don't know about these men who were called magi in Matthew chapter 2. Are you aware this is the only place in the Bible where they're mentioned? No other gospel writer tells us about the magi coming to visit Jesus. As a matter of fact, the word magi itself is believed to have been coined by the gospel writer known as Matthew. There are other places where you find it in extra biblical literature, but it was only after Matthew wrote his gospel that we find this word. So who were they? We really don't know. The Bible tells us that they saw a star and they set on a journey to find a person, someone that they believed would be heralded as 
a king, a redeemer even perhaps. So some have said that these magi men, these mystery men were astrologers. But when you look at the things that they brought to Jesus, some have said, no, they weren't astrologers. They were probably men who had some dealings with medicine and helping people get well from certain ailments of their day. Others have said, no, because of how they came to present these gifts to Jesus, they came as rulers. We really don't know. Priests, even. Men who were interested in a religious idea that someone would be born of special stature and purpose. We don't know where they came from. It says that they came from the east, but we don't know where that is. Is it Persia? Some have speculated that it might have been. Uh, The old saying is that they came from afar, and so they were firemen, you see. Uh, just trying to keep you engaged this morning. That's all I'm doing, trying to keep you engaged. So we don't know where they came from. As a matter of fact, how many wise men are there typically portrayed when they come to Jesus? Three. But we don't know that there were three. Three gifts are mentioned that they present to Jesus, but more than one could have presented the same gift, so we don't know how many men there were. We don't even know where they came to visit Jesus. Most of the time in a nativity scene, it depicts Jesus in a manger and we think about Bethlehem being the place because that's where it's mentioned in the scripture. But as we read there, it said that they continued to follow the star after they had visited with Herod and it simply says that it stationed stationed itself over the place where the child was. There are many, many Bible students who believe that Jesus was probably seven or eight years old or maybe even older when the wise men came to visit Jesus. The idea there is that the star star revealed itself when Jesus was first born and because it took these men a long time to get to Jesus, Jesus would have been older by the time they arrived and finally found him. So we really don't know a lot of things that we don't know about the Magi. But when it comes to what the Bible doesn't tell us, I sort of take the position of, well, maybe it's not important. I mean, if it's important, God's going to put it in there. We have to believe that Matthew was inspired of the Holy Spirit to tell us this story and include it here in the beginning of his gospel as he tells us about Jesus coming into the world. But what he does tell us is very important. And what he does tell us, I think, reveals that these men, regardless of where they came from, regardless of how many they were, regardless of where they went to visit Jesus, embodied the true spirit of Christmas. And the first thing I want you to see is that when they understood that Jesus had been born and they saw the star, they began to look for him. If you and I truly want to celebrate Christmas this year, we've got to learn to look for Jesus. Now I want you to think about this and I want you to hear me out because I sort of land in the middle here on what it means to look for Jesus at Christmas. We are well aware that our culture has sort of put together a whole new genre of what Christmas is about and some of the secular celebrations of Christmas don't mention Jesus. 
And so as we are exposed to these kinds of celebrations and songs and stories and depictions of a Christmas event, whatever it is, that do not mention Jesus, we have a choice to make about how we're going to respond to that. And I am influenced by two experiences that I had early on in my ministry. The first one was this. When I was a student at New Orleans Seminary, I I grew up in North Mississippi, you know that. And so as I went to New Orleans, I know this is going to be hard for you to believe, I had never heard of Mardi Gras. I didn't know what it was about. Had no idea that it was connected to the Catholic Church. And all the celebrations that I'd seen and understood, never once had I made that connection and had any idea that it was a part of their Easter observance. But as you know, Mardi Gras has very little to do with the religious bent, especially when it comes, although they say it will, it has very little to do with our understanding of what it means to live a life of obedience to Jesus Christ. And so as I began to be exposed to Mardi Gras in New Orleans, Louisiana, and as I began to understand it and read about it and study about it a little more, Chuck Kelly, who is now president of New Orleans Seminary, was our professor in evangelism, and this is what he said. Guys, you can make a choice. You can stand and you can speak against it, or you can recognize that it is an ill-fated attempt in a person's search for God. And he said, what you can do is you can use their celebration of Mardi Gras as an opportunity to witness for Jesus Christ. And you can do it in a loving, non-demeaning, non-condescending sort of way as you simply share the true story of who Jesus is, how he died on the cross and was raised from the dead and becomes our Savior and Lord. That's the first experience that I had. When it comes to Christmas... And I think about all the secular celebrations of Christmas, and hear me out, I'm not saying go put Santa back in the attic and make Frosty the snowman go play in somebody else's yard. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we can look for opportunities to share Jesus in meaningful and purposeful ways. Years ago, we invited a retired missionary. It was a lady who'd never married. She was close to church. And help us, never heard of, and I do not remember her name, but we asked her to come to our church and help us promote the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. For years, she'd been a missionary to China, and she'd benefited from the money that we'd given all those years to Lottie Moon. As you know, all of that goes to support our missionaries on the field. And the first thing she did when she came and spoke to our church is she said, I want to thank you for your gifts to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And she talked a little bit about what her experiences were like as she lived alone in China. And she said, I could not go out and, and speak openly about my faith. She said, but there were opportunities that I had along the way where I could bring my faith into the conversation and I could do it in legal, legitimate ways. She said, one of those ways was that I would be invited into schools and even some universities there, and I would be able to talk about celebrations and seasonal things in Western culture. And she said, I would talk to them a little bit about Thanksgiving and I would talk to them about other kinds of things. She said, but I always spent most of my time talking about Christmas because Christmas is a big deal in the West, right? In the United States. We celebrate Christmas in a really big way. 
And she said, what I would do is I would put out all my decorations and she brought some of those to the church that night. And we had them out there on a table and one was a Christmas tree that was decorated. And she said, some of the children and the students that I spoke to had never seen some of those decorations. They had no idea what they were or what they were about. And she said, the first thing I would do is I would talk to them about the tree, the tree. And how the trees that we use at Christmas time are decorated are typically evergreens. Now I know we have fake trees, you know, like these, but 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 they are they're representative of evergreens that grow naturally in America. And she said the evergreen color represents eternity. And so she would talk a little bit about eternity and what that meant, and that when life ends we're going to spend eternity somewhere. And so she would immediately be able to talk about her understanding of life after death. Then she would talk about the lights on the tree and how they were multicolored and white, and she would talk about the different colors. But I remember her talking about a candy cane, and I'm not kidding you. She must have talked for 45 minutes in total, but at least 20 minutes she talked about the candy cane. And she stood there and talked about it and and she said, you know, hold it like this and it resembles a shepherd's staff. And she would talk about Jesus. And that's where she would introduce the birth of Jesus in Christmas. And she said, you know, he even called himself the good shepherd. And so she would talk about the shepherd's staff. She said, turn it up and it's a J in in our language, in the English language. And that is the first letter of Jesus' name. And she talked about the red representing his blood that he died on the cross and the white representing every are forgiven. And she went on and on and on throughout every decoration that she brought and somehow, some way, she would tie it in with the true meaning of Christmas, which is Jesus. And of course, when she got to the star on the top of the tree, she talked about the Magi. And that was the way she ended her presentation to us. And she said, everybody's searching for something. And she said, these men who came to find Jesus, they were searching for meaning in life. And somehow, some way, although we don't understand it, they had received a revelation, an understanding that a child was going to be born who would be recognized as a king, but not just any king, a special king, not just the king over a group of people, but over the entire world. And they found enough interest and energy in themselves to say, we need to go to meet this king. I'm going to share with you one story that I share with children every time I have an opportunity that we talk about in a secular sense St. Nicholas and Christmas morning. And what's that like as St. Nicholas comes and presents gifts and so forth? Hear me out. Did you know St. Nicholas was a real person? I'm not talking about the one that we talk about, the white beard that lives in the North Pole. I'm talking about the real St. Nicholas who was a religious scholar that lived in Myra of Asia Minor in the 4th century. He was born to a wealthy family and he could have lived a life of luxury. Would have never had to work in his entire life. And listen to me, St. Nicholas said, that's not the life or lifestyle that I want. He took a vow of poverty 
And he began to share the news of Jesus Christ. And he talked openly about who Jesus was. And during that time, he was put in prison. He was then into exile. And it wasn't until Constantine signed the Edict of Milan that he was released. And when Nicholas came home to his hometown, to his home region, people heard that he'd been released and he was coming home. Do you know what they did? Get this now. They held a parade in his honor. I'm talking about the 4th century. And when they held a parade in his honor, they sang hymns. They shared in meals together. And they exchanged gifts. And that's the real St. Nicholas. Take what the world throws at us and put a spin on it and say, let me tell you where this really happened and what this is really all about. You can take every decoration, every opportunity in your home probably and share that story or another story that tells the true meaning of Jesus. Listen, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger, he did not come with the sound of trumpets or an angelic choir. He didn't have anybody to come out front and say, all hell, King Jesus, he's here, and announce that he was here. He came, <coughs> as I'm about to say it, in a whisper, with a whisper. Jesus does not make a forced entry into anybody's life. <clears throat> he doesn't come and demand that we give him attention. But I'm here to remind you this morning that he deserves it. The wise men understood that. And they went to great lengths to find Jesus, they looked for him. The second thing I want you to see is the emphasis in our scripture of when they came and said, we've seen the star and we've come to worship him. Now, now Herod sort of gets in on this and says, well, tell you what, guys, when you find him, come back and tell me where he is so that I too may go and worship him. Of course, they didn't because they knew that Herod was not interested in worshiping another king. But it goes on to say that when they found Jesus, they worshipped Him. I've said this to you already this year, but I just want to say it again because it's there and it's so obvious in Scripture as to why they came to find Jesus. This Christmas season, would you please take time to worship Him? Now when I say that, most people think, that I'm saying, oh, we need to go to church because that's where worship takes place. Well, it is true. We come together collectively to worship on a weekly basis. But I hope this is not the only time that you worship. I hope that there are times throughout the week where you pause from your daily routines, where you, where you say, I, I need to make sure that I'm spending time with Jesus. And it's more than just a quiet time where you read Scripture and pray. I want you to learn to sing to Him. I want you to learn to say to him and express to him how much you love him and appreciate him. Worship is more than just coming and singing hymns and maybe giving an offering and listening to a sermon. Worship is all about the head and the heart. Did you know that you can sing a song with your head and not your heart? Did you know you can give an offering with your head and not your heart? But when it comes to truly worshiping Jesus... 
It's a connection of both. The head, which is an understanding, and a heart, which is a commitment to Him. With the heart that Jesus is interested in is saying, I want to know that you love me. I want to know that you're willing to serve me. I want you to know, I want to know that you're willing to share me. And that's what it truly means to worship Jesus. The worship service that we have on Sunday in church is like a huddle in a football team. It's when you huddle, you plan to play. But it's when the whistle blows that you go get on the line and you have to execute the play. Well, the whistle is blown when we sing the benediction. It's when you leave this place that you understand, I've come here today to worship the Lord. But as He sends us out of these doors, He sends us out as missionaries. He sends us out as His representatives. He sends us out with His voice and His arms and His presence. Did you know you can worship Jesus in service to others? You can reveal your devotion and your commitment to Him when you say a kind word on His behalf. When you extend grace to somebody that really doesn't deserve it. When you just reach out to someone that maybe you don't even know but is there to be loved by Jesus. And if you remind them of that, it may just be that what you do is seen as an act of worship to Him. Take time to worship Jesus. The last thing that it says that these wise men did is they brought gifts to Jesus and they gave the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I love the story of the, of the Christmas play. <clears throat> we're in church. These boys, young boys, were designated to be the wise men who came to bring gifts to Jesus. And it's a little out of order for the punchline, but this is supposedly the way it, it really happened. And so these boys are dressed up and at the appropriate time they come in all their purple robes and the, and the crowns that they're wearing. And the first boy comes and he says, Behold, I bring you gold. And he gave his gold to Jesus. And the second one came and said, Behold, I bring you myrrh. And he gave his myrrh to Jesus. And the third boy came and Oh boy, he was last and he tried to listen to what they were saying but he was kind of nervous and he couldn't remember what he was supposed to say. He struggled and struggled until he thought and he said, Behold, Frank sent this. <laughs> what is this about? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You see, even though we don't know who these men were, were they astrologers? Were they men of medicine who gave their lives to helping people heal their physical ailments? Were they religious men? Were they priests? We don't know, but what we do understand is that the gifts that they brought to Jesus represented His prophet, priestly, and kingly role as Messiah. Gold, representative of what you would give to a king. A king, gold, that, that valuable resource that you would mine from the earth. That commodity that would be used ultimately to gauge all wealth and coinage. Gold they gave to Jesus. Myrrh they gave to Jesus. Myrrh representing of his priestly role. Do you know an interesting thing about myrrh? It's extracted from a root of a plant. And it's not until the root is bruised or broken that it reveals its quality. 
I want you to think about this. We think about the body of Jesus being bruised and broken on the cross. But throughout his ministry, myrrh would follow him. It was given to him at his birth. It was given to him at his burial. Myrrh. It was used as an ointment. It was used as a substance that would just sort of cover up the unpleasant odors of what might be given at birth or at death. Myrrh given to Jesus. But it was a precious commodity. You think about the life of Jesus being bruised and broken. Did you know he was rejected by his own family? I don't think we can include Mary, his mother, in that. And we don't know enough about Joseph to know exactly how he felt about Jesus other than the fact that the angels appeared to him. And I believe Joseph viewed Jesus as a gift from God, as we should. But the Bible is clear that some of the siblings in Jesus' closest family did not appreciate his early ministry and introduction to himself as the Messiah. It wasn't until later even that we know that his brother James would be a committed follower of Jesus. Jesus was misunderstood. Jesus was scourged. Jesus was beaten. Jesus was betrayed by his friends. All of these things represent the priestly role of Jesus as he came to present us with the truth of God and as God's perfect son. So we have gold and myrrh. But what about frankincense? Frankincense. Representing that of one who would come to stand in the place, in the gap between God and man. The Latin word pontifex means priest. If that doesn't represent who Jesus is, I don't know because the word pontifex is translated as bridge builder. Jesus bridged the gap between God and us. And these magi, these wise men, they seem to know that and understand that. What I'm offering to you this morning is opportunity for you to also give to Jesus. Give to Jesus. You say, oh, oh, here we go. We want money? No. You want a gift? No. Not unless you understand that your life is what Jesus is interested in. Throughout the Old Testament, there are always references here to people offering sacrifices to God, blood sacrifices, animals that they were given to God, saying, we want to worship God, worship God. And over and over again, the prophets are declaring what God is truly interested in is your heart. Not, the, not necessarily the, the offering that you bring, but your commitment to Him. You see, there was a little girl, about seven years old, who was sitting at the kitchen table, and she was taking all the money out of her piggy bank, and she was counting the money there. And her older brother, who was about 14, came by, and he said, What you doing? And she said, Well, I'm counting all my money because I I need to buy Christmas presents. Oh, how much you got? She said, I've got $11.20. And he said, boy, those are going to be some cheap gifts. (laughs) And she said, how can they be cheap when it's cost me everything that I have? God's not interested in your money. He's not interested in what you can give him materially because he owns it all anyway. What he's interested in is your heart.
And if you'll focus on the heart of Christmas, you'll find the true spirit of Christmas. Would you stand with me this morning, please? Father, I pray that you would take this message and use it, apply it as only you can. Lord, if there's any person here this morning who is yet to understand or publicly acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, would you give them the freedom and the courage even to come forward at this time and say, yes, I sense Jesus doing something special in my life. I want to worship Him and give Him all of who I am. May they come. Lord, if there are Christians here looking for a church home, because Your Spirit would lead them, let them come and unite with our church family as we receive members in many ways. And Father, for all of us who go by the name of Christian, I pray that you would help us to truly celebrate Christmas this year, even as the wise men did, by looking for Jesus, worshiping Him, and giving Him ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name and for His sake.